Second Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll read from verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Rather lengthy, but Paul's dealing with one subject in these, these verses here. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. <clears throat> where Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For you suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measures, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that are that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Arteus, the king, kept the city of the, uh, the Damascus with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a base basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Paul here in verse 16, he asked the church at Corinth, he said, don't think me to be a fool, but if that is the opinion of me, humor me. Allow me to boast a little bit. Now, right off, this seems to be a very unusual request by the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's asking them, can I brag a little bit? Boasting is not a virtue. Uh, Psalm chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For the wicked, wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Paul himself in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 1, 28 through 30, he describes those that God gave over to a reprobate mind as being filled with all unrighteousness and includes such traits as fornication, covetousness, envy, murder, haters of God, proud, and boasters. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, he describes those that would fall into sin in the last days as lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters. So the Lord doesn't look at boasting favorably. 
Uh, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. So I don't think there's any doubt that boasting or bragging is not godly. It's a sin. The Lord doesn't look on it favorably, and man doesn't. Even another bragger don't want to hear somebody else brag. I've often said I'd better soon listen to somebody lie to me as brag on themselves. It's disgusting. So why is Paul asking this church in this letter, allow me to brag on myself a little bit? Don't you know to start with they're taken back? I mean, they, when they get down further, as we're going to do, you start to understand what he's speaking of. But start with the first time, has he lost his mind? In verses 17 and 18, Paul says, That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord. But as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. What the apostle is saying here, we've got to understand the situation. There's false teachers probably claiming to be apostles themselves that has infiltrated the church at Corinth. And Paul is, is responding to them. He says if they're intent on bragging on themselves, They've made it necessary that I join in with this foolishness as well. He said here, I speak not after the Lord. The Lord doesn't promote sinful boasting. We've already established that. But the situation called for him to promote himself. These false apostles had, apostles had bragged on their qualifications about you know, what, what they were, their credentials, their deeds. So much that they had convinced many of these church members to follow after them. They had Paul, who had founded the church, who had been a friend of the church, been a leader, but instead of continuing to follow his words, they were following these false teachers, these false apostles. So this required Paul to establish his qualifications to rescue this church from false teachers. This is Paul's goal. It's not self-glorification. It's for the sake of the church. This is the only way that he could convince them was to speak of his accomplishments. Wasn't attractive to Paul. He didn't want to do this. He had no choice. Because of man's sin, sometimes the Lord has provided options, less than desirable options, but options for man to follow in certain situations. And we'll qualify this by naming a couple. One. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce, Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verses 8 and 9, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso married her, marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So Jesus establishes here, God intended man and woman, husband and wife, to marry and to remain together for life. But because of the sin of fornication, he allowed the offended party the liberty to divorce. Now, this is not the desired result, but it was something that God saw fit that he told Moses to tell the Israelites because this is to protect the innocent party. Sometimes it becomes necessary. This is not what 
uh, would be uh, something that we would go into marriage looking for. But sometimes it becomes necessary. This is the undesirable option. You think about uh, what uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Thou shalt not kill. I don't think we'd have any question about that. But he also, because of man's sin, he found it. Uh, I say found. Lord didn't found. He didn't find anything. He knew. But man uh, saw the, the Lord's plan here. It becomes necessary sometimes to use violent means. Sometimes even deadly force. To protect one's life and safety from an aggressor. Uh, this is why he told his disciples, Luke chapter 22 and verse 36. But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Jesus' mission was a mission of mercy. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy, I come to save. But the actions of others were required necessary to go completely against that and to protect oneself once again with deadly force if necessary. This is not what we would choose. This is not what, uh, without the presence of sin, we would ever have to face. But it's true. We see the same thing happening here. When a Christian is put in the situation that Paul was put in here at Corinth, it might become necessary to resort to announcing one's qualifications and, and accomplishments. Not something we want to do. When Paul said, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. He's not saying, well, if they can brag, I can brag too. I want to do a little bragging on myself. He's allowing the church once again to, to hear and to see his credentials. How else could he prove to the church at Corinth who was the true apostle? How would he differentiate between himself and these false apostles without giving some proof? If he had sent silent, you know what that would have interpreted been interpreted as? Weakness and admitting defeat. He has no qualifications. He can't stand against these men. We need to follow these men. They're the qualified ones. He's not. So Paul said, I can't sit still for this. This isn't what I want to do. It's something that a child of God should never, ever want to do is brag on ourselves. But when false teachers have convinced people that they have the, the words of life by bragging about their impressive resumes, it just goes back to the same thing as the divorce or self-defense. It's been taken out of our hands. It becomes just as vital as those two things are. In verses 19 and 20, Paul went on here. He said, For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. He's speaking to the church here. I'm really not sure what Paul meant, but I think if we can narrow it down to two things. You suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. I don't know if he's saying, look, you people are pretty smart. How could you be fooled by this? 
Or either he's being sarcastic and saying, well, you seem to be such a wise bunch, but yet you've been drawn in by these false teachers. Either way, the results was the same. These false teachers had bought, brought the church into things he names here into bondage. Uh, they had devoured them. They had exalted themselves. They had uh, smoked them on the face, slapped them in the face, figured he was speaking. They were teaching a, a damnable doctrine. Uh, that was bringing them into bondage, as we said, eating away at their souls, uh, while they boasted and insulted them spiritually. Once again, it's just as well had been that they had slapped them in the face. This is why Paul felt that it was necessary to boast of himself to rescue these people from this bondage and abuse. He probably told them, I got to let them know who has, has the words of life, and it's not them, it's me. Because Jesus Christ taught Paul the words directly. He knew. And he said, I got to, to, to convince these people to follow me. Not for me, but for their own soul's sake. In verse 21, Paul begins his defense. His boasting by saying he had been accused of being weak instead of bold. Nobody could honestly call Paul weak. This was a man that had stood before angry mobs. He had stood before governors. He had stood before kings. And he spoke the unadulterated truth. He never backed off. Boldness was not a problem for Paul. He was no way guilty of hollow boasting when it came to him speaking of his boldness. Could these false teachers make the same statement? We don't know a lot about them, but I doubt very seriously they ever put their lives in jeopardy speaking of Christ. Paul's already got them in his first statement, his first defense here. Paul went on to say, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. This tells us immediately who these false teachers were. They were Jews. They were unbelieving Jews. And they were proud of their heritage, just like those in John chapter 8, verse 39, that told Jesus, Abraham is our father. He's telling his church they claim to be these high-powered Jews. Now, not that it mattered who their ancestors were, but what could they claim that Paul could? Paul was an Israelite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He had been circumcised. He was a second generation Pharisee. He was taught by Gamaliel, one of the most respected rabbis of the time. Excuse me. The fact that these things didn't matter explains Paul referring to requiring them to listen to his foolishness. So humor me. This doesn't matter. But I'm just telling you how foolish this is. They make all these great claims as being Israelites, you know, being Jews after the flesh and all this. There's no claim that they make that I can't make. He's beating them by their own game. I'm on both. Okay, they're Jews, so am I. There's nothing they can say that I can't match. He went on to say down in verse 23 and on further down, he said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. These, these false teachers 
claim to be teachers of Christ, to which Paul finds laughable. We can see from his words here, he feels foolish even saying so, even putting teachers of Christ and these men's name together. But he admits he's much more of a teacher of Christ than they would ever be. Once again, this isn't a false claim. He was likely the greatest preacher of the New Testament. He, he preached the gospel. He saw souls saved by his preaching and established churches in the Middle East through Asia Minor and on into Europe. You imagine how many lives were affected, how many souls were saved by the preaching of Paul. He said, now I'm a, I'm a gospel preacher. They claim to be, but I am. And during his preaching, he suffered. He says, not only was he greater in them than labors or his preaching, he says, but in stripes above measures in prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Paul's incarceration at Philippi in Acts 16, at this time that he wrote this letter, is probably the only recorded incident, or I say probably the only one that, that we know of, uh, that had uh, been recorded by the time of this writing. But who knows how many times he had been thrown into jail that the Bible just didn't see fit, the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to record. Eventually, after this, he would be jailed in Jerusalem and uh, Caesarea and in Rome twice. So he still had a lot to come. He'd been beaten often by his own admission, Specifically, I uh, mentioned that he had been given 39 lashes by the Jews on five different occasions. I can't imagine what, how terrible what it's been. You imagine being whipped 39 times by a cat of tails. A cat of, what was it? Cat of five tails? Whatever. Nine, cat of nine tails. Okay, thank you. He was beaten with rods or sticks three times, he says including the one re recorded in Philippi in Acts 16. He was even stoned and left for dead in Lystra. I know I'm, I'm Brother John, he's the only man I ever heard say this, but I, I don't know if he's right or not, but he used to say that he believed Paul actually was killed during that stoning and the Lord resurrected him. I don't know, but I'm sure either way, the stoning was not something fun to go through. He was involved in three shipwrecks in his travels, including one on his trip to Rome, which would be later. During one of these wrecks that's already taken place because he mentions it here, he says he spent a day and a night floating in the ocean, probably on a piece of wreckage. I can't imagine the horror of being lost at sea, holding on to something for dear life with uh, sharks and everything else in the ocean around you. A day and a night. You can imagine what that night was like? In all of his missionary journeys, which carried him all over the Mediterranean world, he was in constant danger. Not only was he in danger of the open sea, but he had a lot of rivers to cross. River crosses wasn't as convenient as it is today. They may have had bridges in some places, but some, you probably had to afford it. And at certain times of the year, when the river was swollen out the banks, it would have been very treacherous. Now, he faced the constant threat, he mentions here, of robbers. 
who prayed on travelers. They sat on the roads from city to city and, and constantly prayed on travelers. Uh, he, he makes mention here he was persecuted by his fellow Jews. He was persecuted by the Gentiles. He didn't have uh, a safe place to run into and be surrounded by friends and protected. When he, when he followed Christ, he didn't have any people anymore. The Jews hated him except other believers. He faced dangers in the cities that he visited uh, from criminal elements and for those that, that, that sought his life for preaching the gospel of Christ. He faced danger in the wilderness. And not only did he face the robbers there, but exposure to the elements. Uh, wild animals. I mean, we're still talking about a time where there were large predators out and about. Snakes. He faced danger from these types of people that he's speaking against here, the so-called Christians, some of these false brethren who wanted him removed as an obstacle so they could carry on with their plans. He endured fatigue and pain, sometime walking from town to town after he'd been beaten. He says he endured constant watchings, and this was wakefulness. We know that Paul sometimes worked to support himself. This man, and I may have it backwards, he preached all day and then worked at night as a tent maker. He may have made the tents during the day and preached at night, but he spent many nights sleeping. May have been many nights he slept with one eye open because he was afraid that somebody was a robber was going to attack him. A lot of times, a lot of nights without sleep, he faced hunger and thirst, probably because he had such little money to travel on. He didn't have the money to buy food. He faced cold and exposure, and he admits here sometimes he didn't have the proper clothing. You can imagine when he's traveling somewhere and he goes into a region and a cold snap hits, and he's not got near enough clothes. He even makes mention of the time in Damascus uh, that was recorded in Acts 9 where the Jews were set out to murder him and he was lowered out the window of the city in a basket to escape them. Do you think these false apostles had gone through what Paul had gone through? He's boasting here. He's telling them his accomplishments. In verses 28 and 29, he completes his boasting by taking note of his concern for the Lord's church. This man took his responsibility seriously. He took care of the church either in writing or preaching or praying or counseling on a daily basis. This was not a job for Paul. He didn't get into it to work a few years and draw retirement and have an easy life. Paul gave his life to the Lord and he gave his life to the people that he preached to. He loved them. He loved them so much that he shared in their problems. He spoke here. If they were weak, Paul was weak. If they were offended, says he was burned with concern over them. I, uh, Brother Robbie just told me about a pastor not long ago that it was like this. That if they're, they're, uh, one of their uh, congregation was in the hospital, he was in the hospital. If they were going through emotional problems, he was going through. He loved his people that much. This is the type of man that Paul was. Do you think any of these false teachers could make this statement that they cared for their church, their people, so much that they became sick when they were sick? 
Was Paul's qualifications greater than these men? Who's the true apostle? In verses 30 and 31, Paul finishes by expressing how distasteful it was for him to have to be forced into boasting. He states that if he must boast, that he would brag on things concerning his infirmities. This word means weakness. He says, the things I'm going to brag on are my weaknesses. So in truth, his boasting was focused on the one that made it possible for a mortal man to do all these things we've been talking about. All these accomplishments, all these qualifications became possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what, what Paul boasted on, his human weakness, his failings to continue to go on when it seemed impossible. He couldn't have done it, and he admits that. His boasting was about the Lord. Do you think the false apostles could make this same claim? And more importantly, would they make that claim? No. They were about themselves. Paul states here that the Father knew that every statement that Paul made was true. He used the Lord as his witness. I stand before the Lord as my witness that I'm qualified and I'm a true apostle of God. Could these false apostles make this claim? Certainly not. And this was the reason behind his boasting. Now, any rational person in the church at Corinth would know who to believe. And if we ever find ourselves in a situation like this, in the type of predicament that Paul was in, maybe we're, we're trying to counsel somebody, lead them to the Lord, and we have to prove ourselves to keep this soul from being led astray, we can follow the apostles' example here and allow, allow ourselves to boast a little bit. It wouldn't be wrong to say, look, I've been saved for a good many years. I've had a long walk with the Lord. I read my Bible. I don't only read it, I study it. I pray often. I've been through the fire. I know what it's like to walk with Jesus. I'm faithful to my church. I've sat under great preaching. I'm qualified to lead you through the Bible, to lead you to the Lord. That other person's not. But we've got to be careful that we center that boasting like Paul did on the Lord Jesus Christ and not on ourselves. Our boasting maybe should go something like this. Jesus took a poor sinner and he created something totally different. I had no desire to learn about the Lord and his word, no time to spend talking about him or listening to the stories of him. I had no desire to be around his people, to hear his gospel preached. I certainly didn't have any desire, desire to face hardship for him or to live for him. But now I do. And listen to what I have to say because I know what it's like to be a sinner transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's my credentials. That's my qualifications in a nutshell. Now that's boasting that we can all live with there. The sitting the sickening type boasting. We boast on what our Lord has done in our life. Wesley, if you would lead us in a word of prayer, please.